As I mentioned at the beginning, um, time seems to be rolling on rather quickly in 2023. However, in the church, we're kind of hanging on to things. Specifically, we are hanging on to the season of epiphany. This is epiphany number five. Once again, we have the opportunity to think through what is an epiphany and what does it mean to me. The working definition I've had is this. An epiphany is a manifestation of the divine or a sudden perception of a thing's essential meaning or nature and calls for a response. We can have all different kinds of epiphanies. The Bible talks about several different epiphanies. Today, I want to talk about it from the perspective of not only the word according to Paul, but as I mentioned earlier, our opening hymn. Thy strong word uh, from the cross, thy wisdom shining, breaketh forth in conquering might. From the cross forever beameth out all thy bright redeeming light. So I have bad eyes, so I have to make that a little bigger so I can read it. What Martin Franzman is talking about is that the cross has something to say, and he speaks about it in in words of an epiphany or a shining, much like the appearing of something that we have have seen before or, or, or we know about, but yet we see it again in a new light, and that changes how we see pretty much anything. Now, I don't know if you caught it or not, but the cross that he's describing is a cross that shines, that breaks forth in light. It's bright. Now, isn't that a bit odd? At least how we normally think about crosses. I mean, when I think of Good Friday, I think of darkness. I think of sadness, and I think of gloom. There is our Savior, the one we put all our hopes in, and it looks in that moment like he's lost, like he was a fake, like something went wrong in the great plan of God. Now, I happen to know, as you do too, what happens three days later, but work with me. Just stick on Good Friday. It wasn't what I would call an overly happy experience for those who were there when it happened. That says, this hymn says no. Actually, the cross is bright. It enlightens darkness. It is, if you will, a great epiphany that we will not all be condemned, but we will be saved. Christ was crucified for us. The Father laid upon him the sins of us all. That really is the message of Jesus, isn't it? And we've been talking about epiphanies for over a month now. Remember, we talked about the epiphany to the shepherds. They couldn't just stay out in the fields. They needed a reaction. They wanted to go follow and see, hey, is it really as the angel have said? And sure enough, it was. That very same night, the Magi saw from the east a star. And it was so compelling to them that they were literally going to pack up what they had and travel well over a year to ultimately get to the place where Jesus was. They needed to respond. They couldn't just sit back and act like nothing had happened. And there they laid on him the, the, the riches that they, had, that they have had to bring him. Then we talked about Jesus being baptized. Now, if that wasn't an epiphany, 
Here, as he comes up out of the water, the clouds open up, a dove descends on Jesus, and the voice from the crowd says, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. What a powerful realization, especially for John, who the very next day saw Jesus walking. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So powerful was John's witness about Jesus being the Son of God that we learn that Jesus then can turn to not only some of his disciples but others and call them, come follow me. And they couldn't resist. I mean, there was something about knowing who Jesus was that caused them to say, I need to go. I can't just sit along and miss the opportunity to listen to the Son of God. So an epiphany is a a manifestation of of the divine or a sudden perceptions of a thing's essential meaning nature, and it always brings about a response. All these epiphanies that I talked about reveal man's experiences with Jesus important matters of faith and of life. One could argue, which I'm going to do this morning, uh, that in our text, Paul actually reveals the ultimate unifying epiphany when he writes, For I am resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul doesn't actually use the word light or shine or glowing But he does say there's something about Jesus and him crucified that ranks over everything else. In fact, it is this cross that is the central truth to faith, that enlightens our our minds, our brains. This is not to say that it, it avoided other topics. In fact, Paul discusses many issues with the Corinthians in this first letter. He talks about marriage and divorce. He talks about the Lord's Supper and its right practice. He talks about lawsuits and conflicts, especially among believers in Christ. Why are we acting like heathen? Let us settle these things where it's the best place to settle them, at the foot of the cross, remembering what Jesus has done for you And thus, the privilege we have in giving that to each other. The hope of the resurrection. And of course, spiritual gifts and the higher gift of love. To speak only of Christ and Him crucified doesn't mean we avoid topics. Other important issues. We talk about the cross as an epiphany. It speaks to how it defines every issue that we face. We talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about conflict. How a husband and a wife were at odds until they had the opportunity to sit down, process what got them here, at the very same time that they were processing how Jesus was a part of the whole interaction between them and yet they were not accessing the power that they were given by jesus in the cross the ability to forgive and love somebody they don't always like 
And yet once the light bulb went on, things changed. Almost in a matter of moments, they went from adversaries to rediscovering the joy that they have in each other as, as husband and wife. That's what the cross does. The cross allows us to understand things from a different perspective. Now, I want this sermon not to be extremely long. However, I would challenge you, come to Bible class. You name a topic. You pick an issue. And I can show you how the cross speaks to it. But for now, let me just pick a couple of my own. Sin. What does the cross have to say about sin? Well, the cross actually shows us the depth of our sin. Our sin was so great, it just couldn't be overlooked. We couldn't adopt the attitude of of many where we'll say, well, you know, that really isn't a big one. All right, I sin, so what? Look at what other people are doing. It's so much worse than mine. In fact... I don't really even think it's a sin at all. This is how I feel. This is how I look at things. Would God create me in such a way that these things that are important to me, that I value, that are are, are defining of me, that these things are actually sins? No, they, they can't be. And yet the cross tells us otherwise. The cross says that the depth of our sins is so great that the only way that God would make atonement for that was by offering up his son on our behalf. The depth of sin was so great that it was only Jesus, at his sacrifice for us, his blood on our behalf, that could cleanse us for our sins. So the cross itself actually allows me to see that confessing my sin is not a sign of weakness. Oh, I did it again. What a wretched man I am. True. But thanks be to God. He has saved us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now when it comes to my reaction with other people's sins, who am I to judge you? I need to realize that the cross shows the length and the extent of how far God was willing to go to save me. I'm so important to God, he didn't leave my salvation up to me. The cross is how he solved our sinfulness. What else? What else does a cross illuminate? Well, how about God's personality? The cross reveals that God is gracious and merciful. That's absolutely true. I mean, think about it. We've talked about this before. Who in their right mind, knowing absolutely nothing at all about theology, God, or the supernatural, spiritual, how many people would come up with a, an idea of God, holy, righteous God, who can do everything, all-powerful, all-knowing, and this God, after his creation, broke his covenant with them, Rather than dismissing, discarding, destroying, and starting all over, this God said, no, you know what? I'm going to come into this world 
And I'm going to live the life that those that I created can no longer live. And then I'm going to give of myself to appease the very requirements that I have for them. And I'm going to give them, by grace, all the holiness, perfection that they cannot earn themselves. Who thinks like that? Well, God does. God is gracious. God is merciful. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him us for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's what the cross reveals to us. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God is willing to give up his own son for our forgiveness. He must really like forgiving. Especially when we look at our lives, we see that we give him so much to forgive. And we begin to think, well, that's just too much. But really... Our sin is only a demonstration of the fact that God is a forgiving, merciful God. He knew that you were going to be the kind of sinner you turned out to be, and yet he still died for you. Why is that? Is it because you're special, good-looking, above average? Are you better than the average Christian or person? Or is it because God is such a gracious, loving God? Each of these epiphanies that we talk about leads to another. I mean, think about it. If you're forgiven in Christ, then you're also reconciled or made right with the Father. The books have been balanced. The sin that put us at odds with our Father in heaven have been paid for. We are right with the Father. And if we're reconciled to the Father, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God, holy God who created us and whom we failed, have been made right with God the Father. And through Jesus, we have peace with the Father. We don't have to fear him anymore. Jesus encourages us when it comes to prayer to actually pray to who? Our Father who art in heaven. Now, under normal circumstances, we would go, oh, I ain't going there. He's mad at me. Not according to the cross. That relationship is now one apiece. Now, think about it. If we then have peace with Jesus, that then puts us at odds with Satan. There's an enmity that exists between us, a painful friction. We want nothing to do with him. And note, The devil has no more claim over you because you belong to God. And if you belong to God, then you are also an heir of all things. They're yours. You're no longer the enemy. You are a child. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. We have this hope of eternal life. This is what the cross gives us. And if we all all things, we also have the resurrection of the body on the last day. If he loved us to take on our flesh and to die in the flesh and to rise in the flesh, then certainly he also comes 
to save our flesh when he comes again with glory. Yeah, this is the Christ that's going to raise us up on the last day. This is one of the things when it comes to the death of loved ones that I, I think Christians maybe don't pay attention to. We know that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us, that he's with us always. We celebrate the, the presence of the soul with God in heaven. But the soul in heaven with God is not satisfied, if I can say it that way, until the last day, until the soul is reconnected with the purified new body. The dead in Christ will rise first, and that those who are still on this earth, people of faith, our bodies will be changed from the mortal to the immortal. This is the wonderful gift that the cross gives to us. So the cross is an epiphany, if you can see it. It sheds its light on everything. That's why Paul says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's not limiting to himself to a specific topic only. He was opening up every topic and allowing the light of the cross to shine on it, to enlighten it, to allow us to process it and to see it differently. That's what the cross does. Now, I'm, again, I challenge you, you pick up your topic. You pick up the issue that's bugging you right now. Does a cross have something to say about it? Absolutely. The cross reveals how Jesus is a part of the issues, the problems, the things that we deal with in this life. And yes, if I may, especially suffering. And this is important because when, when we suffer, when we're at our, our moment of weakness, what is our response? Why, God? Why me? Why, Lord? Why me? Now, that's an impossible question to, to answer for every why me in this room right now. But in the cross, we can start to unravel the mystery of the why me. Now, I'm not saying that the cross is going to give you a specific answer or satisfying um, revelation to every situation. Sometimes God hides that knowledge from us. We don't know all things. We don't know the mind of God, but we know what God tells us about himself, and the cross reveals that. It speaks that when I go through these difficult times and I don't always understand, the cross will eliminate some of the terribly wrong answers and other weird kind of possibilities that we give to the question, why, Lord? First, it eliminates the, the issue of, does God love you? And does he really have in mind my best interest. 
most people think. Oh boy, God, you're callous, you're judgmental, you don't really care. We hear that, don't we? How can you have a loving God and yet have all this suffering in the world? When it becomes our personal suffering, we say it in a slightly different way. Really? (laughs) I thought you loved me. All right, God, demonstrate your love. I'm going to pray right now, and you're going to answer it. And yet the answer isn't there. The sinful side of us wants to say, wait a minute. God, you're not being God. But the cross says, no, God is being God even in the middle of your suffering and your pain. He didn't spare his own son for us. He certainly loves you. The cross tells you he clearly has the best interests in mind for you. So what do we do? We allow the cross to help us process, think through, and manage the many difficulties, hardships, and problems that we face in our life. The cross also offers us other alternatives when it comes to suffering. The Bible speaks about how suffering is really a form of discipline. Because all discipline feels like what? Punishment. And punishment feels like I'm suffering. And yet in the middle of those things, what is there for me but rather the opportunity to be strengthened in my faith, to not allow things to disrupt my relationship with God and other people. Do you ever let a flat tire do that? Do you ever have one of those rides home from work where you hit every stoplight and then it seemed like people were purposely cutting in front of you and slowing down instead of going the speed limit? You try to pass the speed up a little bit. You don't want to break the limit, but you don't want to drive behind this individual who's on their phone. You walk in the door. Hi, hon, how was your day? Are you going to talk about all the wonderful things that happened in your work, or are you going to talk about the last 10 minutes coming home? I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to bring up those frustrations first. And you know what God is, what is God teaching us in those situations? How about slowing down and obeying the law? How about understanding that patience is experienced in the light of suffering and difficulty? Think about it. If you pray for patience, God is going to give you a kid. He's going to give you a child that's all about themselves and is as adorable as they are because we think of them as being adorable. They're nothing but selfish little individuals. And yet, what do we learn? The child is three months old. He must be hungry, diaper change, or needs to be held. He's not crying for any reason. Patience allows us to put a brakes on ourselves and our plan and to see that even in these difficult times, there's a lesson to be learned. Oftentimes, suffering is just an opportunity that God gives us to better understand and appreciate the price that was paid for our faith. I mean, we're often accused of having cheap grace. You know, you Lutherans, you give yourself permission to get away with everything. It doesn't cost a thing. 
according to the Lutheran faith. To which I respond, oh my goodness, it cost Jesus everything. And it wasn't cheap. Our relationship with God was the expenditure of great energy, time, and commitment from Jesus our Savior. And the fact that God wants to take his sacrifice and give it to me free. That's a testimony of his character again, his personality, his mercy, and his love for us. It's in those times of suffering that there's a, a way of ending up at the foot of the cross. At the time, it's going to seem dark and gloomy and sad as we watch it, but Paul is sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, let it shine on you. Take a moment to step back from yourself and realize that the cross of Christ changes everything. Maybe God is encouraging you to take away an idol. Perhaps he's simply making you long for the next life, the new world to come. You know, when there's not going to be any more tears in your eyes, there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Is it fair to say that sometimes when it comes to my relationship with God, especially as I understand the cross, that sometimes I hold on to this life so dearly. I just need to have this thing. I want these things. And yet when you get to heaven, you're going to go, yeah, I'm really glad I spent my money on that Harley. I'm really glad that I got this for others to have fun with. But I'm not belly aching once I get to heaven. I'm not sitting there going, oh, rats. When we go through suffering in life, we realize we're not created for just this world, just this time. The cross reveals to us that God has a bigger calling for us. And that's rooted in the cross. God's love for you. I mean, think about it. God knew what evil try to do to you. God used evil's intentions to accomplish his own plan. What evil intended for bad, God meant it for good. Likewise, God foreknew your suffering and your pain. And though the devil wants to use that suffering to kind of drive a wedge between you and Jesus... God will work all things, even your suffering, for your good. Paul writes, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's what the cross reveals. It reveals God's character, his love, how he works. Even evil things are there for our own good. The cross reveals that sin cannot overcome God's grace. Hopefully, it changes the cross in your life to be one of, of great joy because it enlightens how I look at my life. The cross gives us delight not only in the gospel, but it gives us delight in the law too. The law's there 
not for me to do so that I can earn favor with God. It becomes my privilege and my honor to know that these are the things that are important to God. Thus, these are the things that are important to me. And the cross releases me to live the life that God has called me to. So what do you do with all this stuff? Remember that there's not an area of your life. By the way, are you guys still listening? Here, let me move for a second. This is where I really want to make sure you're paying attention. There is not any aspect of your life that the cross doesn't shine into. Now, maybe it shines into your sin. And it exposes your need for Christ. But there is the cross reminding you that Jesus has already paid the debt for your cross, for your sins. That we are no longer punished because Jesus was punished for us. Are there consequences? Absolutely. But the cross even allows us to appreciate and see them too. Stop for a minute. What is it about your life that you don't think Jesus relates to? Is there some aspect that somehow or another, yeah, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but you don't understand. Understand what? What is it in your mind that somehow or another remains in the darkness of your sin or your, <clears throat> your, your uh, lack of knowledge, arguably, unbelief what is it that jesus hasn't already answered for you when he died for you and when he rose for you so when paul thinks about an epiphany that's what he thinks about he thinks about the cross and so he writes i resolve to know nothing while i was with you except jesus christ and him crucified Imagine how your relationships with your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, how that changes when all you know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Imagine how <clears throat> your approach to the, the ailments that plague your body are different because you know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Imagine how your <clears throat> outlook, your plans the things that you do, the things that you want to do are changed when you resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The impact on your life is unbelievable. It changes everything. It's an epiphany. It's seeing something maybe I even saw before. I've heard this message before, but you know what? Today, pow, I see it different. I understand it different. And I can't just act like it isn't. I can't just say, thanks, preacher. I'm going home for the rest of the day. I can't help but be touched by what it means and how it changes my understanding of my life in Jesus, my Savior. In his name I pray.